technical difficulties when you upgrade different things. Amen. All right, so let's go to Genesis 22. And uh, before I get into Scripture, I have a disclaimer, right, that I want to point out because what I'm about to ask, it might seem kind of nonsense, but it is something that it's spoken about or something that's going to happen in chapter 22, right? And so if you have anything around you that maybe you like to throw, please keep it away from you. I want to make sure you don't launch anything at the pulpit this morning when I ask you this question. But the question this morning is, who likes test? Who likes to be tested? And right, and the obvious answer would be no one. But throughout the Bible, every man of God and every woman of God went through a test. And the Bible actually tells us that we're going to go through tests in our lives. The funny thing is that you're either coming out of a test, you may be in the midst of a test, or you're about to enter a test. That's how pretty much the life of a believer works. But in this chapter 22, it's more than just a test. There are parallels in this chapter between Abraham and Isaac and God and Yeshua. And we're going to break down our scriptures. You guys know we dig deep. We want to see all the revelation. There are 24 verses. And in 24, in these 24 verses, Yeshua is all over them. All over them. And we're going to break them down. Amen. Now, there is a, a misconception between a test and a temptation. And so we, before we get into scripture, I want to make sure that we know the difference between one and the other. Because the funny thing is that the word for test and temptation in the Greek is actually the same word. And that is the word peirazzo. And it's spelled P-E-I-R-A-Z-O. This is the same word in the Greek that describes test and temptation. It means to test and to be tempted. Now how do we know when we use this word? How do we know if we're being tempted or we're being tested? And it all comes down to the agent. And what I mean by agent is it's either God or the devil. If it's God, you're being tested. If it's a devil, you're being tempted. The problem is not to take the word of God out of context. And that is the big problem that we have. We take the word of God out of context. And when we take the word of God out of context, we confuse the two. And we think we're being tempted instead of being tested. Or being tested instead of being tempted. So therefore, we don't know how to defer one from the other. That's why it is so important who you listen to and who you watch about the preachings that you intake. Because a lot of people nowadays are manipulating the word to suit their flesh. To suit their needs, to suit their desires. And when they do that, they take the word of God out of context. And so therefore, you might think you're being tempted, and in reality, you're being tested. And you miss the test. Because I'm going to tell you this morning, tests are not bad. That sounds weird. Tests are not bad. And we're going to find out in a minute. Tests are not bad. But let's tackle temptation first. Because I like to expose the enemy. And we need to expose the enemy. 
Temptation. First of all, temptation appeals to our sin nature. Listen to that. Temptation appeals to our sin nature. What do I mean by that? Temptation and the flesh go hand in hand. Your flesh will always pull to where you're being tempted. Because it wants to satisfy itself. It wants to please itself. But look what James 1, 13 to 15 says. And we're going to have it up here on the screen. James 1, 13 through 15. And we're going to stay in that book for a minute. So you might want to stay there. James 1, 13 through 15. And it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Clearly says it there. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desires has, has conceived, it gives birth to what? To sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So look what temptation does. Temptation tries to satisfy itself, tries to please itself. And once you stay in that temptation, once you're satisfying that desire, evidently the only thing that it brings is death. That's why I don't understand why people like to linger around temptation. Temptation does not bring anything good. And if you linger around it long enough, you're going to fall. People say, well, I'm trying to test my faith. No, you don't need to sit around temptation to test your faith. I'm going to show you now that God will allow things in life or will allow certain tests in life that will test your faith. So you don't need to sit around the temptation to test your faith because eventually the temptation, all it brings is death. Now temptation looks... For these three things. Number one, to gratify itself. Number two, to glorify itself. And number three, like I said, to satisfy itself. If you notice, it's all about me, me, and me. Temptation never gives glory to God. Temptation never acknowledges God. Temptation is all about me, me, and me. How can I please myself? How can I satisfy my flesh? How can I glorify myself? Because if I am tempted and I'm doing it, I can glorify myself that I'm in the midst of the temptation and I'm supposedly having control over that when in reality it is some temptation itself that has control over me. Now, another thing about temptation is that temptation actually looks to weaken the one tempted, not strengthen. Notice that every temptation that you go through, if you happen to fall, what does it do? It makes you weaker. It makes you think less of yourself, right? It makes you, th it makes you think that you're not good enough because you fell. But that's not the way God sees you. That's not the way God wants you to feel. That's not the way God made you. 
And so we see that temptation, all it really does when we fall into it, it's weaken us. It's destroy us. It's ma- it makes us less than we actually are. Temptation also looks to divide instead of unite our relationship with the Lord. It looks to divide instead of unite. Think about that for a second. If you fall into temptation, what does temptation do? Temptation kind of wants you to hide because it does not want to expose what you just fell to. Because if it exposes what you just fell to, God will bring that what? Bring that to the light, not to make you look bad or anything like that. It wants you to see it so you can work on it. So you can overcome it. So temptation divides our relationship between us and the Lord. It never unites it. Ultimately, the enemy looks to destroy the one tempted. It says it there in James. Yeah. It brings death. John 10.10 10 says it great. The enemy comes to what? Mm-hmm. To kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's all he looks for. He doesn't come to, to give you things so you can better yourself. No. He might give you something temporary, but all of a sudden he takes the rug from under your feet and guess what? You're not only back to square one, you're more than back behind square one. So we need to be very careful with temptation or testing. And so that's temptation. Now let's see what the word says about test. And we're going to stay in the same book. James chapter one, verse two. And that's why I said earlier that that tests are actually good. Look what the word of God says. It says, my brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it as joy. You're supposed to be excited in the midst of a test. That's what the word says. Count it as joy when you fall into trials. And to a human mind, you can, we can't conceive how I'm supposed to be joyful when I'm being put through the fire. But the word of God says that you're supposed to count it as joy... When you're in the midst of trials. When you're in the midst of trials, you're supposed to be excited about what's happening. You're supposed to be joyful about what's going to come out of that. Because see, it's not about what you're going through at the moment, it's what's going to come out of it. Come on, somebody. It's not about what's happening at the moment, it's what's going to come out of that test. It's the product of the testing. It's the fruit of the testing. And so therefore, a lot of times we don't want to be tested. We kind of reject it without realizing how much we actually need it. How much tests are necessary in life. So we must count it as joy. Listen, tests are perfectly tailored by God for each person. God knows the area that you need to be tested in. And His intentions are for you to pass the test. God never tests it for you to flunk the test. God allows tests in your life for you to pass them. 
As a matter of fact, when you're going through the test, God has already equipped you for that test. That's why I said earlier, you're either coming out of a test, you're in the midst of a test, or you're about to go into a test. So if you're about to go into a test, the one you just came out of equipped you, edified you enough in order to be ready for the next one. God's intention is for you to pass the test, never to fail. And when He tests you in the areas that He tests you in, it's to strengthen those areas, not to weaken them. That is the difference between a test and a temptation. The temptation weakens the area while the test builds it up. Like I said, the only reason God is exposing that area is to you to make sure that you strengthen yourself in that specific area. And like I said, all tests are perfectly tailored for each person. Everybody deals with something different. None of us deal with the same things. We all deal with something different. God knows that. And so he'll test you in those areas to strengthen you. Amen? Amen. Tests are, are intended to edify you and strengthen your weak areas, not weaken us or destroy us. God allows tests in our lives for one reason. And it's not to reveal sin that we may have fallen into, but to display the faith in our hearts. I'm going to repeat that again. God allows tests in our lives not to reveal the fallen into, but to display the faith in our hearts. Look at the difference from a test to a temptation. I mean, they're completely the opposite, yet people mix them so much. Oh, I'm being tempted by the enemy. No, you're not being tempted. You're, you're probably, uh, God has probably allowed for you to be tested in that area. You have to know the difference. But test proves faith. Amen. Listen, test proves Amen. faith. It proves if your walk with God matches your talk. Amen. Ain't that funny? A lot of us can say, well, oh, we may be ministering to somebody... And we may be telling him, listen, you know, God is going to provide for you. God is going to heal you. Don't worry about it. You know, God is there. He's done it for me. But then we happen to fall into the same issue that person is going through. Then all of a sudden, we're panicking. We begin to panic. How am I going to make it? How am I going to get through this sickness? How am I going to make it to the end of the month? But wait a second. Weren't you just ministering to somebody the week before or a month before about the same issue? What changed? God didn't change. God's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. What changed? The test proves faith. That's why it's better to act than to talk. But we got a lot of people talking and there's no action. Actions speak louder than words. I love that saying because it's truly, it's truly, it's, it's true to its root. Actions speak louder than words. Right. You know, I wasn't going to touch on this because <clears throat> I didn't want to touch on this matter, but I'm going to briefly touch on it for a minute. Um, when the whole George Floyd thing came out, a lot of the pastors and, and people were talking about racism and stuff like that. And 
I asked the Lord if he wanted me to touch on that subject. And God never gave me the green light for it. And so from the pulpit, I never spoke about it. But as I was writing the sermon down, he said, you got to kind of touch on it because it's not that I'm with it or against it. I'm, I'm, I'm on neither side. Don't get me wrong. But when these whole riots started coming out and this looting started coming out, there was a lot of people that were talking. And this is not the first time this has happened. And so people tend to have a lot more talking than action. You know, maybe what a month has passed since, since that happened, since that event took place. You might ask somebody now, hey, do you remember who George Floyd was? They probably don't even remember who he was. Actions speak louder than words. If we truly want to change, we got to stick together. If we truly want to change for God, we need to allow God to change us. Amen? So test proves faith. Now this chapter 22 in Genesis can be broken down in these three parts. Like I said, there are 24 verses in this chapter. And verses 1 through 12... It says, these are the demands of God. Okay? This is, in other words, what God demands. Verses 1 through 12. In verses 13 and 14, is what God provides. And then in verse 15 through 24, is what God promises. I'm telling you, this chapter is very, very powerful. Please don't miss anything that God is going to speak this morning. I've been asking God to speak since yesterday. Um, I always, that is my, my prayer every time I stand up here, that it won't be me, that it be Him speaking. Amen. Amen. So that being said, go with me to Genesis 22, and we're going to break it down. We normally read the whole chapter, but we're actually, I'm going to start in verse 1, and we're going to break it down. Amen. So Genesis 22, verse 1. And it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take your son now, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now verse 1 it says, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. After what things? After everything that Abraham had gone to, had gone through since the beginning. Since God told him, leave your father, leave your mother, go with your wife Sarah, don't take anybody, don't take any belongings. And he took, remember, he took Lot with him, he disobeyed God, then he got into Sodom and Gomorrah. Then all that took place. Then the kings where he had to rescue his, his nephew from. Then he came across Abimelech, lied about Sarah once again. Not the first time, but the second time. After he had lied to Pharaoh the first time who Sarah was. After all these things, Abraham was tested. As if those tests weren't enough. Because those were tests. God was allowing Abraham to go through certain things to see how he will react. Remember, test proves our faith. So God tested Abraham prior to all this 
to see where his faith was with God. And we know plenty of times Abraham failed. He failed. He failed. But God still continued to work with him. God continues to work with us. How many times do we feel God? He continues to work with us. He continues to work with us. We may fall seven times, but the Bible says that a what? A righteous person stands up seven times. Come on, dust yourself off and keep walking. Don't look at your faults. Don't look at your mistakes. Continue to walk forward with the Lord. The Lord continues to work with you and continues to work for you. So after all these things, Abraham is tested. Now according to studies, 13 years had passed between Genesis 21 and Genesis 22. So some time had passed between these two chapters. But I want you to focus on that verse 1 for a split second. It says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham. And instantly he said, Here I am. Instantly he answered, Here I am. Abraham was ready. Abraham did not delay. God called, Abraham answered. He didn't say, well, let me think about it. Should I answer God? You know, let me see my position. Am I capable? I don't know what he's going to ask of me. Am I ready for it? Maybe not. No, Abraham instantly answered. Here I am, God. You called me, here I am. I failed you before, but here I am. I made mistakes, but here I am. I make myself available again. Use me again. Have your way with me again. I know I've acted the opposite of what you told me before, but here I am. Here I am, God. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober and vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking who can devour. The Word of God tells us to be vigilant. To be alert. Not only at the devil, because he's constantly roaring around like a lion to see who he can devour, but also at when God speaks. We have to be alert at God's voice. And sometimes I think we pay more attention to the enemy than to God's voice himself. It's like we're working from a counter-defense instead of from an attack mode. God gives us the tools, gives us the preparation, gives us everything that we need. We have the armor of God, but yet we kind of have it stored away. We kind of have it stored away. You know, whenever the enemy attacks, then I'll put it on. No, you're supposed to put it on every single day. You're supposed to be ready for battle every single day. As a matter of fact, maybe God will tell you one day, hey, attack. What do I mean by attack? I need you to go preach to that person because they're in sin and you know that person very well. You went through the same issue. I need you to minister to that person. That's an attack mode. That is being ready. And so when God calls, here I am. I got my armor. I got my sword. I'm ready for battle, Lord. So we see the readiness of Abraham in verse 1. Verse 2 then says, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, 
and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. This is the first parallel between Abraham and Isaac and God and Joshua. Watch closely what it says here in Scripture. Then he said, this is God speaking, Take your son, your only son, Isaac. Wait a second. That wasn't Abraham's only son. We know that Abraham had Isaac and Ishmael. But if you remember the previous chapter, Abraham sent away Ishmael and Hagar. Sent away the flesh. Sent away the temptation. It wasn't the spirit. It wasn't the promise. It wasn't the heir. He sent away. So therefore now his only son is Isaac. The son that was promised. The rightful heir to all his belongings. The one that came from the spirit, not of the flesh. This is the same thing where John 3.16 comes into play. That God said, my only begotten son. This is a perfect parallel between God and Yeshua and Abraham and Isaac. The only son. God offered his only son. God is asking Abraham of your only son. But I need you not to miss something. Let's go back to verse 1. It says, now to all these things, God tested Abraham. By no means, by no means at all, is God agreeing with the sacrifice of a child. By no means at all. It says it clearly there. This is a test. And what the test what does test do? It produces what? I just said a little while ago, it produces faith. So God again is testing Abraham to see where his faith is. To see if the promise, if what the promise that he's finally holding, that is in his possession, he's willing to give it up. Theologians actually say that this was given to Abraham in a dream. And we'll read verse 3 and I'll show you why I believe that's true. But now I have a question about these two verses. And the question is this. Is Abraham willing to trust God with his promise? We know that at this point, Isaac still not married. Isaac still doesn't have any offspring, no children. Is Abraham willing to trust God with his promise? Now, that question is the same to us. God heals us from a terminal disease. God restores our marriage. God brings those prodigal sons and prodigal daughters back to our household. Are we willing to trust God with those things? Or are we so concerned about getting our blessing that we forget the blesser? Are we so concerned about once I'm getting my blessing, I have received what I wanted, I take off and forget about God. Abraham was put in this predicament. The same situation. He's here with Isaac, 
And here in a dream, God tells them, your son, your promise, your only son, I need you to bring him and, and sacrifice him. Offer him as a burnt offering. Meaning, gone. Bye-bye. You know what a burnt offering is? It's a glorification of God. Ain't that amazing? God was asking of Abraham to, for Abraham to glorify God through the sacrifice of Isaac. Through the promise of God giving to Abraham. Here's a promise. Here I'm giving you something. Are you willing to give it back to me to glorify me? Because initially I'm the one that gave it to you. Yeah. Or are you going to keep it yourself and say, see, I told you God was going to give it to me. Yeah. See, I told you God was going to heal me. I told you God would restore my marriage. But listen, I put in a lot of work in this. Are you trying to, are you trying to take the glory yourself? Or are you trying to give the glory to the one who gave it to you? The same faith God wanted from Abraham then is the same faith that he's asking of us now. Amen. The enemy wants you to stagger. Listen, church. The enemy wants you to stagger, but the Lord says, have faith in me and praise me even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of the test, even in the midst of the trials, even if I take you and put you against the wall, I need you to praise me. Amen. Amen. You may not understand it. You may not know why you're going through it. But faith is choosing to hold on to what God told you even when you have every reason to let go. Even when you're against the wall, you say, Lord, I can't. God is looking at you in the face saying, I know you can. I know you can do it. Just focus on me. I know how much you can bear. I will never give you more than you can bear. I know you want to let go, but I need you to still hold on to me. Because you're letting go of the wrong thing. You're letting go of the ones who's holding you instead of letting go of the trial. Come on. Wow. Wow. Faith is being fully persuaded in who God is, what God says, and what He's able to perform. God will never promise something that He does not fulfill. God never leaves or gives empty promises. Amen. God never gives empty promises. Now you remember the readiness in Abraham in verse 1? You know why he immediately responded to God? Because faith doesn't delay to obey. I'm going to repeat that again. Abraham's readiness was because faith doesn't delay to obey. Amen. Abraham did not negotiate with God. Abraham did not go talk to Sarah. Hey, I think God is knocking at the door. Or maybe Isaac, hey, you think I should answer God? Or his servants that were around, hey, you think God is calling me? You think I should go? Or we should just chill here for a little while longer? We just got here? No. God called, Abraham answered. Amen. Why? Amen. Because the faith was already in him. Amen. The faith was rooted in him. And people have the misconception that just because they fail God, they lose faith. Oh, I don't do this because I don't have enough faith. No, either you do or you don't. 
You can't have 50% faith. Either you have faith or you don't have faith. It's simple. This is not a, 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 a percentage. It's either you have it or you don't. Faith is not defined by your ability to receive, but by your willingness to sacrifice everything. Abraham was willing to sacrifice everything, and we're going to see now. Remember I said, this was given to Abraham. Theologians say that this was given to Abraham in a dream. Abraham was sleeping. God showed up to him in a dream and said, I need you to sacrifice Isaac. And so now we're in verse 3. We're going to read from 3 to 5. And look what it says. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the the wood of the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Verse 4. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said, to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Abraham rose early in the morning. That's why it says that this was given in a dream. So the readiness from Abraham of answering transferred immediately into the next morning. He didn't delay. The next morning, he was ready to go. He started gathering all these things, started gathering Isaac, everything that he needed for the burnt offering, took a couple of his servants and said, let's go. We're out of here. This means that Abraham took this task personal. God spoke to him. He didn't speak to him and Sarah. He didn't speak to him and Isaac. He didn't speak to the whole multitude that was with him. God spoke to Abraham alone and personal. That's why I don't understand when God gives personal tasks to people, why people want to include somebody else in their task. Maybe I can get some help from somebody else. No, God told you to do it. He didn't tell you and grab three more people. Why? Because maybe those people that you're grabbing, even though you think they might be ready, are not ready for what God is going to put you through. And all they're doing is is delaying you or keeping you stagnant from moving forward. Because they're going to give you their input or their suggestion, and it's not what you need to be able to move into the trial that God has for you. Stop dragging people into the fire with you. Pass through your own fire. Go through your own test. God has already equipped you to to sustain such things. Take it personal. Make it personal. You know why? You know why making it personal? Because when you get through the fire, when you pass that test, the only one that's going to get the glory is Him. He's the one that got you through it. So therefore, the only one that should get the glory is him. Now, if you have two or three people around you, somebody's going to want to take the credit. Hey, Mabel, I helped you. Remember what I did for you? 
Hey, Gabby, remember, you remember what I did for you? You were going to do this, but I told you to make a right. So here now, what happens? Now you're beginning to get confused. And who should get the glory? Because of other people's suggestion that shouldn't have been there in the first place. Make the task personal. Verse 4. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar. This is the second parallel here in Scripture. Three days after Isaac was condemned to death, we'll see that they return alive. Three days after Yeshua was buried, come on, he came back to life. Abraham had three days to reconsider what God asked of him. Three days to reconsider what God asked of him. Yet Abraham goes through it and tells the young men, we will return. He doesn't speak in a singular form. He speaks from a plural form. We will come back. In the Hebrew, that come back to you, it's a, it's, it's a verb of plural, affirming more than one person is returning. So, Abraham is affirming his servants. Listen, I'm going to go up with the lad. I know I brought all these things for sacrifice. And I know what you guys know that I'm going to do. And by this time, it might be obvious that we have everything but the sacrifice. We don't have no animal. We didn't bring no animals with us. But I'm telling you, we are going to come back Amen. to you. We're going to continue to see why Abraham is so stern in his faith. Now, I want to point out that, there is, that here, Abraham again leaves Sarah in the dark about what he's going to do. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that he went and, talked and told Sarah, hey, listen, I'm going with Isaac. God told me that I have to go do a sacrifice. Um, he's asked me to sacrifice Isaac. But I know for sure that he's going to provide a sacrifice. I think Sarah would have grabbed him by the neck, honestly. Of everything they've gone through... How are you going to possibly sacrifice the promise? Have you lost your mind, old man? By this point, Abraham was at an old age. He was no young dude anymore. Remember, he had Isaac when he was a hundred. He went through some issues, then, you know, fell through this issue with Abimelech. Thirteen years passed, and, you know, here he finds himself now. With, Abraham, uh, with Isaac at an even older age. So here again, Abraham leaves Sarah in the dark. I'm imagining that when Sarah woke up the next day, she's looking around, she's like, where's Abraham? Where's Isaac? Oh, hold on, let me pick up my cell phone and give him a call. Listen, there was no cell phone back then. There was no beepers. You guys remember beepers? There was no beepers. There was no two ways. There was no emails. No social media for that matter. So I'm imagining Sarah by this point, she's going crazy. How is she going to get in contact with her husband and her son? 
Where did they go? Where did they go? This shows from Abraham the level of dedication and obedience from his part. Remember, God told them, leave your father, your mother, your possessions, leave everything behind and just take off. You have to be willing to leave everything behind for God. As tough as that may sound. As hard as that may sound. You have to be willing to do it. Otherwise, we'll see in scripture later, you're not called a disciple. And that's tough. And we'll see it in scripture. It's not me telling you. I'm going to take you there. Ah. <clears throat> it's hot. Woo. <clears throat> Genesis 22. <clears throat> 6. It says, So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, <clears throat> his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went... Together, But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Same answer he gave God at the beginning. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? <clears throat> and Abraham nonchalant says, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Listen, I'm imagining that Isaac at this point is like, wait a second, dude. Uh, we got everything we need for the sacrifice, and there is no animal. Um, now I'm starting to doubt why I even came on this trip with you. <clears throat> because remember, by this time, Isaac was already at an... Uh, actually, study says that Isaac was somewhere between 25, <coughs> 25 to 35. So Isaac was old enough to know right from wrong, good from bad. Okay? He was, he, he was able to know the difference. So something might have sparked in Isaac saying, where's the offering? And Abraham nonchalant says, don't worry about it, man. God will provide an animal. God will provide a sacrifice. I'm sure that God is going to provide this is the third parallel. <clears throat> Look at it in verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Wow. He took the wood. First of all, the place where he took the wood from was a place that was kind of scarce in wood. Where they were inhabiting at that moment, there wasn't a lot of wood around. <clears throat> so he took wood from a place that didn't need to be taken from because the place where God was taking him to had abundance of it. That's number one. That showed again how personal Abraham was taking this. Then he grabs that wood for the offering, 
the same wood that was seen Isaac will be sacrificed on and lays it on his back. And Isaac carried the wood on his back to his sacrifice. Who in Scripture carried the wood to his own sacrifice on his back? Yeshua. Yeshua carried his own cross on his back to his own crucifixion. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look at the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? Where is the burnt offering? Where is the animal? I, I don't see it. Now Isaac is beginning to kind of put two and two together. I'm thinking at this point, Isaac's beginning to say, if there's no animal, seems to be that I'm the sacrifice. But the question is, if that was the case, don't you think Isaac, being 25 years old, would have fought his father and ran away? I mean, his father was at an old age anyways. I'm pretty sure Isaac could have wrestled his father and ran away. That's number one. Number two, the servants that came with them would definitely interfere with what Abraham was trying to do with Isaac. They knew Isaac was the promise. They were part of that promise. For sure, they didn't want to be left out of that promise. Wow. But don't worry about it, Isaac. God will provide. If God asks, He will provide. When God asks of you of something, God will provide. Amen. God will never ask of you to, to do something more than what he can provide for you. Amen. You will never be able to give up more than what God can give you. Amen. <clears throat> Guys, with me so far? Amen. Yes, amen. Genesis 22, verse 9. I'm going to read from verse 9 to verse 12. Then they came to the place on which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld, excuse me, your son, your only son from me. This is powerful here, what's taking place. And two things should come to mind from these verses. Number one, what is going through Abraham's mind as he's building the altar to kill his own son? Because look what it says. They came to the place and Abraham built the altar there and placed the wood in order. Meaning, Abraham was taking his time to place the wood in order for this sacrifice. I mean, what was going through his mind 
placing the wood in order to making sure that where Isaac was going to lay, it was sturdy enough, it was the right way, it wasn't out of order. No, it was in order, the word says. Because what? God is a God of what? God is a God of order. So Abraham takes his time and says, I need to line up the woods in order to sacrifice my son. I have no idea, but I know God is going to provide. But I need to make sure everything's in order. I need to make sure I do the best I can for God. Because when I lay my son there, I know I'm not going to have to kill my son. I know God is going to provide. But I want to make sure before the Lord that what I'm doing is to the best of my ability. So I don't know what's going through Abraham's mind at this time. But aside from that, it says that he bound Isaac, his son. Listen to this, because this is, this is huge right here. He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Wait a second. I just told you that Isaac was 25, between 25 and 35. Why would Isaac allow his own father to bound him to this altar? See, too many times when we read the scripture, we focus on the obedience of Abraham. Well, how about the obedience of Isaac? How about the obedience of the son? Come on, how about the obedience of Yeshua? He didn't question God. He carried the wood, went to his sacrifice, and laid on the cross for you and for me. He didn't try to negotiate with God. You know why? Because he knew God would resurrect him on the third day. That is the same faith that Abraham and Isaac had, that even though Isaac would be sacrificed, he will resurrect them. Abraham had enough faith that even if we will kill his own son, God will bring him to life. So it wasn't just about the faith that Abraham had, but about the faith that Isaac said, you know what, Dad? Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. I'm willing to do it. If God spoke, go ahead and do it. Now the verb bound here in verse 9 in the Hebrew is the word aked. Genesis 22, and the word aked is spelled A-K-E-D. Genesis 22 in Jewish theology is known as the akedad of Isaac. And that is the binding of Isaac. That is what this chapter is known by. The binding of Isaac. That Isaac was willing to give his own life as a sacrifice to obey what the Father was ordering him to do. Wow. wow. So here it seems, as, as Abraham is preparing this altar, as he's laying Isaac on top, as he is bounding him, tying his arms, tying his legs, people say, well, you know, maybe he was tying him down because he didn't want Isaac to jump out of the altar or to make sure that he would stay there. No, I believe Isaac was just as obedient as his father was. That's just me, but come on. Joshua was just as obedient as the father was. But we'll leave it at that. But here we see Isaac binding, I mean, we see Abraham binding Isaac. And so he's about to kill Isaac. The Bible speaks about a knife. Now this knife, when you do a little bit of research, it's not a pocket knife. This is a butcher knife. 
And if you guys seen a butcher knife, it's a block like this. This is a knife that later on in Scripture is used to dismantle human parts. This is not a pocket knife. A cleaver. Abraham is here standing before Isaac with a butcher knife about to dismantle his own son, his promise. So it seems as if God is okay with child sacrifice. But if you study scripture in the book of Leviticus, where all the sacrifices are spoken of, child sacrifice is an abomination. Child sacrifice is murder. That's why abortion is murder. There are people spending 20, 30 years in prison for murder. Yet we got women going to the abortion clinic every day because I have a decision with my own body. That's murder. And they're able to walk in and walk out. Now there's even a law passed that you can have an abortion at full term. You're going to tell me that's not murder? Oh, I'm not with the guy anymore. He left me stranded. It's my body. I get to do whatever we want. You're going to have to give account for that. You're going to have to give account for that one day. Because as far as I'm concerned, one of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not what? Kill. You're breaking a commandment from God. Or you erase that one out too. As well as the Sabbath. As well as every other commandment that doesn't suit you. God demanded of Abraham to give up his promise, the heir and trust and obey. God is asking of us this morning the same thing. To give what he has blessed us with, what he has entrusted us with, to trust and obey him. Are you willing to do that? Luke 14, 26, 27. Luke 14, 26, 27. <clears throat> this is Yeshua speaking. And I told you I will take you to scripture. If anyone comes to me and does not hate, listen to this. This is Yeshua speaking. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. I told you I will take you to scripture. This is Jesus speaking. That's not me. This is not one of his disciples. No, this is the man himself. You got to hate everything. You got to leave everything behind. Otherwise, you cannot be called my disciple. Now you see what Abraham was so ready to do, what God had told him to do. Because it was an instruction that he knew that he needed to commit to. Otherwise, he would not be able to call what? The father of faith as he's known today. You know why God tested Abraham? It wasn't for God to learn something about Abraham. It was for Abraham to prove something to God. 
that he was willing to go above and beyond with what he was given. And I think a lot of us miss that. I think a lot of us, we get the blessing from God and, and we take it in so much that when God asks of something from us or asks of that blessing to be returned or whatever it may be for you to give it up, because remember, God does not just leave you there when he gives you something. That will continue to take you from what? From glory to glory and victory to victory. So what he provides now, what he's going to provide tomorrow is even better than what he provided today. So I don't know why people try to stay with yesterday's promise when today God has given you a new day. Yesterday's promise is yesterday's promise. Yes, enjoy it. But don't focus on it. Don't dwell on it. Don't stay with that one because it's better. There's more. Be willing to give it up if he asks for it. That's what God was trying to test Abraham to see if he was willing to give it up. James 2, 2 20, 21 to 23. Got a lot of scripture today, guys. Amen. Take everything back to scripture. James 2, 21 to 23. It says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? <clears throat> Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. Amen. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. If you guys remember the previous verses, the Bible says that Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness. And it continues to say, and he was called a friend of God. Do you know that Abraham is the only man in the Old Testament that was called a friend of God? The only man in the Old Testament that was called a friend of God. Because he was willing to give up what he valued the most, which was Isaac, the promise, the heir, the one that through him, generations and generations will come after When was the righteousness of Abraham spoken about? Do you guys remember? It was chapter 12. <clears throat> you see, in chapter 12, it was spoken, but it was proven in chapter 22. Why do I tell you by that? Your faith may be spoken about when you receive God as your Lord and Savior, but you're going to be tested throughout your entire life. And through your entire life, test after test, According to James, you have to count it as joy in order for you to succeed and be able to move forward in life. So you were spoken about, but you will continue to be proven. You will continue to be proven over and over and over. Wasn't Abraham proven over and over and over? This is not the first test, but this is the ultimate test. The life of his own son. So it was spoken about in chapter 12. It was proven in chapter 22. Now that is what God demanded. Let's see what he provided. Because it gets better. God's word always gets better. Amen. Amen. 
Yes, 13. So when we put our faith in God, we will never come out empty-handed, right? So here is the provision of God. Verse 13, back in Genesis. Then it says, Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind them was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. So Abraham went to look, Abraham went and took the ram and offered up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. <clears throat> hmm. Interesting. Fourth parallel. You say, well, there's no lamb there. What are you talking about? It says ram. Ram is a male lamb. Let me say that again. Ram is a male lamb. The ram is a male lamb. The ram was the sacrificial object. The male lamb, Yeshua, was the object. Do you think that the ram just suddenly appeared? On that mountain? While Abraham was preparing Isaac and binding Isaac? Do you think just a ram, boom, just appeared there? Could have. But I like to think otherwise. I like to believe that as Abraham put the wood in the back of Isaac, and as they were going up the mountain, that the ram was in the other side of that mountain going up at the same time. I like to believe that as Jesus was going up to the cross to be crucified for us, for you, and for me, God already knew that he would be resurrected on the third day. I like to believe that while Abraham was preparing for all this, on verse 8 where he says, God will provide a sacrifice, he was certain that God was going to provide a sacrifice. So even he was getting ready to sacrifice his own son, he was going through all this preparation, he knew that God will provide a sacrifice. So as Abraham and Isaac are going up the mountain on this side, here is the ram meeting them. God wanted to test Abraham to see the faith in his heart. Because remember, he had three days. Three days to think about it. 50 miles they walked. It was a three-day journey. I'm sure in this journey, it was awfully quiet. <laughs> I'm sure it was very awkward at times that Abraham was thinking, am I really going to go with this? Am I really going to go through it? Am I really going to place my son in the altar and sacrifice him? Dismantle him with his butcher knife. But I know that God has provided once before, and I know God is going to do it again. Amen. So this that he's asking of me is just another test. And I'm going to pass it with flying colors, because I'm going to be obedient to what he's called me to do, because I know God is going to provide. Amen. That is the assurance that Abraham had in what God was asking him to do. He didn't delay. 
When God called him, he said, here I am. I'm ready. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to take? If we can be honest, a lot of the times when we get put through the test, the first question that comes up is why? Right? Why this? Why am I going through this? Why am I going through that? But if we can just focus on the who for a minute. Come on, can we just focus on the who instead of the why? Knowing that the who is going to provide. It's not about the why, it's about the who. God will always provide which, that which he has demanded in order to be obeyed. He will always provide your, uh, a, a way out of obedience, in other words. <coughs> Fifth parallel. The Lord will provide, <clears throat> or as we know it, Jehovah Jireh. This is what Abraham called this place. <clears throat> Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said in this mountain, the Lord shall be provided. Listen, Isaac would become a foreshadow of our Messiah some 1,800 years later. All these parallels that we've gone through, the five different parallels that we've just gone through, is a perfect illustration, father and son, from Abraham and Isaac, to father and son, God and Jesus. Amen. They perfectly align with one another. Yeshua, it's all over this chapter, from the beginning to the end. So we see what God demanded. We see how he provided. Now let's see what he promised. Let's continue to read Genesis 22, verse 15. <clears throat> it says, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Here again, God is emphasizing on this. Blessings, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars in the heaven and as the sand which is, in, is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have, what? Obeyed my voice. Here is God affirming what Abraham did in verse 1. He is affirming the action by speaking it out loud. What is faith? Speaking what we what? Believe in our hearts. Even God knew that Abraham had the faith enough to sacrifice his promise. But was he willing to do it? Was the question. Was he willing to go through it? Was the question. From the beginning to the end. So Abraham, do you believe my word? Have I not come through for you time and time again? This is the Lord. Do you believe? Do you believe everything that I have promised you? Here it is. Because you have believed in me, 
with your promise now look at the look at the heavens can you count the stars look at the seashore can you count the sands that is how your descendants will be this is what my promise truly is it wasn't just isaac it was the beginning of what was to come oh come on somebody Sometimes we're so focused about receiving one thing that we forget that there's God overflows of promises. We focus on one promise so much that we, we lose focus on who the one giving is that rivers of living water flow. There's no end to it. There's no end to it. Why are you focused on one thing? There's no end to the promises and the blessings of God. But are you willing to give up that one promise for you to gain so much more? Abraham was willing to do it. Abraham took the time. He surrendered his promise. He gave everything because he knew he would gain more. Isn't that funny? Isn't that the same thing that God did? Didn't God give His only begotten Son so hold all those who believe in Him will not perish but will have eternal life? All those, not all that one, all those. By the sacrifice of His Son, He knew He would gain what? Generations to come. He was willing to sacrifice His own Son. His only Son. Joshua 21.45 And I'm going to read it in the NIV version. It says, Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone fulfilled. Not just some of God's okay promises or not of a lot of God's all right promises. No. It says not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. E everyone was fulfilled. And we know this applies to you and me as we have been engrafted into that nation. So we can take part of all the Lord's good promises. Come on, that should be that should get you excited. That is what God speaks about, abundance of promises. That there's no ending to His provision. Listen to this. God rewards full surrender with the fullness of His blessings. God rewards full surrender with the fullness of His blessings. You want to be fully blessed by God? You need to be surrendered fully to God. Amen. It's not a 50% surrender. It's not a 75% surrender. Not even a 99.9% surrender. It needs to be 100%. Every day, seven days a week, 365. Amen. 366 on leap years. Yeah, because people say, oh, that's a leap year. That one day, I have it, I have it off. No, you don't. You need to be surrendered fully, 100% every single day in order to be fully blessed by God. Amen? Genesis 22, 19, 19 through 24, and we'll go ahead and finish with this. 
So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Now it came to pass, after these things, that it was told Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Naor. Okay, here's where it gets a little complicated. And thank God none of you have these names because you're, you're probably going to kill me because I'm going to butcher a bunch of them. Verse 21 says, Huz, his firstborn, Buzz, his brother. I'm not very creative there. Just change the letters around. Uh, Kemuel, the father of Aram, has said, Hassel, Pildash, Jildaf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot Rebekah, the only normal name in here. I can pronounce that one. These eight milk aboard to Naor, Abraham's brother, his concubine, whose names was Reuma, also bore Teba, Kaham, Tahash, Makkah. Here we see, with all these tongue twisters, we see a foreshadow of the promise to Abraham through Isaac and with his future of Rebekah. We know that Rebekah later on will become the wife of Isaac, right? And so here, what this is showing us in reality is a kind of a, a future genealogy of what's to come, of the descendants of the blessings, of the stars in the skies, of the sands in the seashore. Here is God giving a little insight of what's to come to Abraham. You were obedient. Listen, this is what I have for you. Through your son Isaac that you were about to sacrifice, this is what's coming. This is my promise. This is what I really wanted you to see. This is the big picture. In other words... Isaac was just a corner of the picture. But here is the big picture. Here's the genealogy that's going to come out of this through his wife, Rebecca, And the many future generations to come. And I'll finish with this. We saw five parallels in this chapter between Abraham and Isaac. And God and Yeshua. But this one striking difference. One striking difference. What God demanded of Abraham as a test, he demanded of Yeshua in full. What God demanded of Abraham since verse 1 as a test to see if he will prove his faith he demanded of Yeshua in full. You know what we see in chapter 22? Truth and grace. <clears throat> there was five parallels in this chapter. Number five is grace. We see the truth in the word of God through the sacrifice or what seemed to be sacrifice of Isaac but it was an illustration of what was to come 1,800 years later of the sacrifice of the Son of God. Grace and truth, all in chapter 22. All from a test. Can we get up, please? <clears throat> 